Red Len Yap, Yellow Len Yap. Red Len Yap, Yellow Len Yap. This is the Steve McLaughlin Radio Hour. I'm Steve McLaughlin. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Um, I saw a movie recently, which really made an impression on me. So I have to recommend this movie. It's called The Chateau. Um, I think that this is really a real... If, if you have a buy-low, sell-high mentality with respect to your cultural choices, I think this is a, this is a real keeper for you. Um, it's really, I, I can't find any like f fan sites. I can't find like much discussion of it. It's a 2001 movie with, with Paul Rudd and, um, uh, Romany Malko, uh, who was, um, who was in weeds. I just figured out what, what show he was in, <laughs> uh, and was also in the 40 year old virgin, but, but, um, but it's the, it's an extremely weird movie about, two Americans who go to, who go to Europe, um, and, and, and act like doofuses. Um, and it, a big con, like a big chunk of the humor of the movie is, is Paul Rudd speaking, not even speaking bad French, throwing French words in a French accent into his English speech, but he, he does this over and over and over again. And, and, uh, it, um, it, I think it is good. It's a, it's a squirmy, it's a, um, it's a cringe, a social cringe comedy before cringe comedy kind of came into vogue. I mean, uh, when was Bridesmaids late 2000s? So that's, um, yeah, so that was probably, I think Brides Bridesmaids would be maybe the, the pinnacle or, or the 40, 40, uh, 40 year old virgin for certainly part of that same moment. Um, uh, big, uh, you know, sort of gross out in those cases, um, very cringy, uncomfortable, uh, comedy, but the Chateau is, um, is all that and so much worse and so much more, there's no gross stuff, but it, but, but socially just the way these, uh, <laughs> I it's, I, I don't want to get down too, too much down deep this, deep in this rabbit hole Two Americans who. Uh, are, are under the impression that they are inheriting this chateau in France and they show up and there are people, there is actually some basis for this, but th there are people living there, uh, in this, in this, you know, kind of, um, sprawling, but also like dingy, uh, uh, uh cramped European spot, whatever there's a, uh, so they, they start Live, you know, basically live there for a, a few weeks and then develop relationships with, with the people. Um, both of these two male American characters have a, a crush on this, on this, you know, this poor woman. <laughs> um, and, and I, it's just, it's, it's so incredibly deeply awkward and so slow and so repetitive in the way that it does the same joke structure over and over again. Um, and it was, it was poorly reviewed when it came out. Uh, and, and like I say, I can't find any, there, there probably are, you know, if you really scour Reddit, you can probably find some praise for this movie, but I could find basically no praise for this movie. It seems like it has completely disappeared. Um, I, it, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I'm, sh I still have not quite done it justice. And of course I don't want to, don't want to spoil it, but I, I, I recommend this movie, The Chateau, uh, 
I got a real kick out of this movie. Very strange movie. I w- I would love to uh, rent a uh, uh, get a get a reel and <laughs> in the summertime, in better times, set up a set up a projection, set up a set up a screen, projected in the park. Um. Yes, I also some of it, a lot of it, a lot of the humor is also just like. European versus American humor, um, like some of the humor is just like the weird configuration of the rooms. I mean, I guess that yes, Europe, Europe has that feel of like things are smaller and and uh, and maybe just like there's just more of a feel of accumulation, where things are kind of built up on top of each other uh, without without a without a master plan. I guess in terms of like interiors of buildings. Um, so I may have just been perfectly positioned to, I, to find this movie funny. Um, I did, I did feel very awkward as an American in Europe in my time. I spent about six months there right after college and I really became aware of, I felt doofy. I became aware of a lot of little things, um, maybe the most memorable of them being like how many paper towels I used. Like I would basically, I would, I mean, shoot, I would spill some milk on the counter or something and I would just grab a paper towel and wipe it up and throw it away. And I was, <laughs> I was living in the Netherlands and my roommates were, happened to be Israelis. I, I ended up meeting people from, from all over Europe in this little art school I was in. Um, and so anyway, this woman was like, what, what kind of like, what, what the, why are you using so many paper towels, man? Like she was like annoyed. She's like, basically she was like, Americans are so incredibly wasteful. Um, and I just kind of made a mental note of that. Um, yeah, still haven't quite gotten over that, some of those habits, but anyway, but yeah, I, th- there were a lot of little things like that. There were a lot of little, like, um, you would think I would have more examples. <laughs> uh, the size of things. I think the willingness to compromise on a lot of stuff. Actually, one thing that strikes you when you go to, uh, I'll just say England, but also p- many parts of Europe, is a, a lack of um, uh, wheelchair ramps, like anywhere. It's just like, it's like just society has made this compromise in a different place. Um, of course, the wheelchair ramps are pretty new in America. And the fact that they're widespread is, is still sort of amazing. Um, although, you know, the little, the little town I live in, the sidewalks are not well maintained and there are still some streets that don't have, uh, don't, don't have that cutout on the corner, which is kind of amazing. Uh, it's, there are a few old school curb corners. Um, yeah, they should almost be preserved just because, <laughs> um, just because they're still around. Um, yes, but the chateau, I really recommend the chateau. Yes, I, 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 I'm not sure I even expressed the premise, but it's Paul Rudd, two brothers, uh, one is white and one is black. So one, so the, uh, the other character, the other, the other brother is, uh, uh, adopted. And most of the movie is the, these two foolish Americans looking like fools in front of, in front of Europeans. 
Um, and, but then and there's a really loose structure to it, uh, and a really, um, uh, and the Europeans are not blameless either. It's a it's a complicated movie, but but it's a uh, it feels like a, a bunch of vignettes stitched together. It feels like a bunch of almost like improv setups. It, it's scripted clearly, but um, it so it it, it, it uh, <laughs> but it also has all the you know the hallmarks of a, of a big production. Actually. Uh, I, I, the copy that I watched was downloaded from whatever, the Pirate Bay. It was just some random BitTorrent copy. I don't even know. I don't even remember why I was looking this movie up or, or why. Maybe my, my wife found it. I can't remember. But I found this. I found a random like 700 megabyte uh, <clears throat> Bit, BitTorrent version of it. And the quality was so crappy that I couldn't really tell. Like the, I couldn't really tell what the original production quality was, you know? Um, anytime you put on a movie, you can, you can look at the grain of it and figure out how you're supposed to be reading it. Right. Um, you can see if it's, you know, if it's a, uh, a, a camcorder indie, you know, dogma 95 kind of thing. Um, that's something that you read that in a certain way it's got a certain uh it's got a associations and if it's something very commercial you can see that that sheen you can see that it was very well lit shot on a set you can see that it was i mean well <laughs> circa 2001 you can see that it was you know, shot on film that it was done properly but if you if you find a really highly degraded uh bitdorrent copy or, I mean, this is like VHS's, VHS tapes back in the day. Find a really highly degraded copy of something. You lose some of that, um, uh, you, I could, whatever, some of that meta. It's almost like, yeah, implied metadata. It's information about how you're supposed to be receiving it. So there is a, a big difference between like a, almost like a, a camcorder indie comedy movie. Um, or like, yeah, like a true mumblecore. Like, this is low budget. We're making a statement here. Um... You know, the kind of aesthetic I'm thinking of is like John Cassavetes, where it's like, <laughs> it's like really long shots from a handheld camera, um, shaky sometimes, you know, like, like basically like certain movies, the <laughs> certain movies are supposed to be wrong and they're supposed to have that effect where it's like, you know, that they're doing that. And then certain movies are trying to do it right. Right. And so sometimes people are trying to do it right and it goes spectacularly wrong. You know, you're Rebecca Blacks, that, that sort of thing. Um, but in the case of a really degraded copy, I, it, it, it's a, it becomes a bit of a mystery. It's a kind of beguiling and you have to lean in a little bit closer and try to read it closer because I couldn't quite tell if this was supposed to be like John Cassavetes, you know, art in your face, like, like basically like, I'm talking about is like art that you endure, uh, slow, maybe low, low production qualities, um, which I, are all things that I appreciate for sure. Um, but it's a different frame of mind or maybe it doesn't even matter, but it's, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It's a different type of thing, but I couldn't tell if it was that like 
art in your face or, or if it was supposed to be a really high sheen Hollywood production. Basically, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell if they were really swinging for the, uh, for the rafters. What's the expression? Swinging for the fences. If they were trying to make a big successful comedy movie and it was a flop, or if it was, you know, really just a, a small arty movie or a comparable, um, in the comedy world, something like Wet Hot American Summer <laughs> is actually very weird. Not something you have to endure exactly, but it, it could be pretty confusing, uh, potentially, uh, it, to the wrong audience or whatever. Um, and so maybe, I think this is more, this is somewhere in between. This is somewhere in between. Of course, Wet Hot American Summer had all the sheen of a pro professional production. You would you would read that movie a lot differently if it were shot on VHS. Um, but I think the Chateau was... <laughs> I mean, look, it's a small budget comedy. And so those things, those things just fade away. And so I shouldn't be surprised. And there are lots of, there are lots of tiny comedies. Um, thinking of, uh, Extract. That's a good one. But Extract has a, Extract has a posse though. You know, I've, I've been watching some VHSs. I've been speaking of degradation. Uh, we have a lot of, <laughs> we have a lot of time to kill with our daughter, my wife and I, and we're at home and we have stuff. We have all the, I mean, my friend Keith gave me a, a VHS player a couple months ago. I should mention that. Uh, so that's one part of the puzzle. So I got the VHSs in the closet. That's the other part of the puzzle. We just moved into this house. My parents <laughs> wanted to get VHSs out of their out of their storage space, and everyone everyone laughed at me. They all thought that I should throw the Free Willy in the clamshell. They thought I should take that and throw it right in the trash. Everybody laughed at me, but I kept all the VHSs. I kept all the my sister's Mary Kate and Ashley movies, um, you know, Beauty and the Beast, all the all the VHSs, um, including the tapes that I made back in the late '90s, for, you know, for my own use. Uh, I had one, uh, one in particular, very dear to my heart, which was uh, uh, Syphil and Ollie, MTV show, uh, which played, you know, what eleven o'clock at night or something. Uh, it was a sock puppet show, if you're not familiar with it. It was a show with two sock puppets. Uh, exceptionally dumb. And and as I go back to it, really exceptionally dumb. I, actually, you know what? This is an example of something that is made to be endured. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's, um, I'm talking about the, it, there was no Adult Swim. This is the pre-Adult Swim world. So, all the, so those frontiers were open. Those frontiers for for late night, kind of dumb, slightly phoned, uh, phoned in, comedy, comedy that's funnier because it's got a little bit phoned in. I'm talking about Syphil and Ollie now. Um, so there, yes, there was this MTV show called Syphil and Ollie. Don't want to belabor this, but it was a half hour show with two sock puppets talking back and forth to each other. They made three seasons. Um, I was a really really big fan. It hit me at the perfect moment because I was. 13, 14 at the time, and going to a lot of sleepovers, yeah, and just figuring out, basically relatively new to MTV. So, for me, it was really Daria, 
<laughs> as my way into easing into MTV after sort of feeling like I shouldn't watch it as a, as a younger kid. Finally getting into Daria, finding Daria very funny. And then Sif Linali. Sif Linali. Um, but that, yes, the Sock Puppet Show, it, it was, uh, as I recall, so yes, uh, Liam Lynch and Matt Krakow were the, were the two voices. And they would just record dumb conversations. I'm, yes, they had a, a call-in segment. They would do little silly voices and have calls from the public. And they had like a home shopping network spoof thing where they would sell something extremely stupid. Um, they had, the sock puppets had different little costumes. It was it was a whole thing, and there was a you know a constant stream of new sock puppets being added, different uh, space aliens, and there was a memorable sock puppet which was a doll with the 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 butt crack was split open and turned into a mouth. It was a doll with a talking butt. Um, lots of cool things like that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so Sif and Ollie, I think actually. It holds up only because it would only hold up for me. It's not something I would recommend to a young person, probably. Uh, it's it's striking, but it's not um, inspired, maybe. But that tape, though, oh my God, I watched. You you could adjust in those days. You could back in the nineties, back in the back in the old days, you could adjust the amount of video you recorded onto a tape. You could adjust the uh, the quality. So you could do a two-hour, if you want to do a high-quality, high <laughs> let's say uh, you wanted to record something off the Disney Channel, they were playing <laughs> the Rocketeer or whatever, uh, you could record on a, a, the highest quality, record the whole tape, uh, uh, two hours and be done, or whatever, two and a half hours. Or you could go to the lower setting, and you can get four hours on the tape, or you can go to the very lowest setting and you can get six hours. Uh, some tapes might have gone up to eight hours. A little bit more tape in the cartridge so that meant to me i would always go to the very lowest setting so i could fit the most uh, that was just like a given i was like why would you not <laughs> you can have eight hours of recording on this tape why would you not just do that <laughs> that's the first thing and i have to say this that was still pretty good you guys still had a pretty good recording and even now my, my syphilinali tape uh six hours whatever it is um, still plays, and boy, are, are those lines burned into my memory, because, well, at some point, Sifl and Ollie went off the air, so that was, I, I would occasionally pop that in and watch it, but, but yeah, during those years, I would just, I would, I would retape over this tape, so I would tape whatever the last t 12 episodes were, maybe, I was not that organized about doing this, but, but I would just keep taping episodes and cover the tape, and then go back to the beginning and tape more episodes, uh, that, roughly would be what I would do. And I, I transferred them with a, I made a tape of just the songs. There was a big song component and a lot of parody songs. Um, Suffragette City comes to mind. <laughs> and a lot of made up songs about pop culture. None of these songs actually stand up, but it, you just cling on to certain things when you're younger and you can't, you know, there's no accounting for taste. Or wait, there's no arguing over taste, I think is the alternate translation or something. There should be no argument, which is a different thing. But we can come back to that some other day. Um, but you, but yes, and those, but you, you lived with some more degradation 
in those days or where the trade-off was maybe more more apparent to you i don't know um and well yeah so yes i i didn't know how to didn't quite know how to read the chateau oh here's something uh <laughs> going in a slightly different direction uh this is on the topic of vhs tapes did you know okay and uh, this is going to involve some hand waving well okay <laughs> uh hello i'm steve if you've ever listened to a cd or if you've ever like read the packaging of a cd closely you've probably seen that the sample rate is 44.1 kilohertz does that sound familiar or i don't even have to say a cd if uh digital audio also uses this number very frequently it's um the numbers of of samples per second and that relates to the to the possible to the the, the pitch range that can be represented in the recording so 44.1 uh kilohertz that means that the maximum frequency you're going to be able to to get to is is uh is at uh 22.05 that's going to be the highest frequency because that's the highest uh, complete cycle that's going to be recorded. That part doesn't really matter. But then I, I half wondered. I, there's all these little things that you that I that you wonder about, but it's not even really worth doing the research. But it's why is it 44.1 kilohertz? Like what gives? Why did they not just make it 45 kilohertz, <laughs> or 41 kilohertz, or, or, or rather a 44 kilohertz? Why is it not? Why is it 44.1 and not 44? It just doesn't make sense. And sometimes, I mean, now when I see odd numbers like that, I think, oh, it must be a power of two, <laughs> right? In a lot of digital stuff, you'll see some number that's like, it's like a, you know, it'll be some like a 1024. It's like a number that is just a little bit off of where you think it would be. And then you can look at it and say, oh, that's a power of two. And that explains why <laughs> that number was chosen. But 44.1 thousand, so kilo. Obviously, it's 1,000, and then hertz is just repetitions. Um, 44.1 things per second. Why the point 0.1? It's not a power of 2. And there is a reason for that, an actual historical reason. And that is that um, <laughs> in early VHS tape days, after the VHS uh, uh, tape f format came out for video, people, clever people, uh, realized that you could use that exact same tape format for audio and for uh, not just analog audio like the audio that was being included on the VHS, but that you could use, uh, um, <laughs> you could actually put digital audio onto these VHS tapes. That this, uh, that the VHS tape format was just really well suited, uh, you know, nice, durable, and cheap, really well suited for putting digital audio onto. Uh, and this is a, in, in the days before DAT tapes. So what happened, it was <laughs> DAT, uh, digital, D-A-T stands for digital audio tape, and that's a small, uh, small format digital audio tape that got popular in the 90s. Um, but before DAT came along, um, institutions like libraries were recording digital audio onto VHSs. And I, I, I actually know that, um, initially because, uh, uh, because, uh, Steve Evans, uh, who who lives up in Orono, Maine, and teaches up there, uh, told me because he used to transfer. He transferred a bunch of tapes recorded by Paul Blackburn 
the poet uh, at University of San Diego back in the 80s, and he he was the one who was transferring them onto these digital VHS tapes back, uh, yeah, back in those days. So there's that. Um, audio VHS tapes were used for audio, and and if you check, you know, a big institution, uh, library and archive, in their special collections, you may find digital audio tapes still on the shelf, uh, uh, di- digital audio VHS tapes, not digitized. I would bet good money that that's the case. Okay, where were we? Oh yeah, w- why is it 44.1 kilohertz? Well, the reason is. Uh, it's a it's a multiple of something else. It's um, it's related to the the way that VHS tapes are formatted. Uh, VHS tape is not just a blank. Um, <laughs> uh, it's different than a cassette audio tape. Uh, or a cassette audio tape, you really just have a signal. You have actually on a on a uh, a four track tape. So if you have two sides and each one is stereo, you have you have four different stripes. And each one is a signal that can just go up and down, up, down, up, down. Um, and that makes the sounds that you and I hear. Uh, but in a VHS tape, they're designed to, to uh, represent uh, 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 <laughs> a video. So they're designed to represent lines of different colors. So it's, it's organized instead of being just a continuous signal going across the length of the tape, it's got an organization system from left to right on the tape, right? So you basically like a grid, if you can imagine that. But the way video is organized, uh, you can, <laughs> uh, the interlacing doesn't matter, but the data comes in the form of individual frames. And then each frame is like a little grid. So VHS tape is actually like, you can almost imagine it as like a, like a stripe of teeny tiny little spreadsheets. Um, or, or, or try, it's a, you know, more of like a, it's a chunks with a bunch of, with a bunch of rows. <laughs> it's like, you've got these little chunks that are subdivided into other chunks. <laughs> and then each row can have multiple values across it, uh, corresponding to the different colors on the screen. So what you ha- have when you're turning audio into a digital format and recording on a tape, you have a choice for each strip, you know, for each, the equivalent of one uh, scan line on the TV uh, can represent some number of uh, bits in the digital signal. And it can be, you could make it be one bit, you could have that whole row be zero or one, that would be pretty inefficient. Or you could have it be ten, uh, you know, 10 bits, um, which would be overkill for, for audio. You probably technically could do it, but especially in those days, you want to build in a lot of redundancy. You want to make it pretty simple. So it came down to, I can't really precisely remember now, but I think it was, you could put either three or four uh, different bits. A bit is just zero or one. I just want to throw that out there. It's the, the stuff of which all digital uh, media is made. Um, so you could put three or four of these zero or ones, and they just made a decision. So basically, if they had chosen, the, the speed of the tape was fixed by the hardware. This is the other crazy thing about this, <laughs> that the speed of the tape was a given. So they just had to decide, are we going to put, you know, four bits on here, in which case the sample rate is going to be in the like 50,000s or 60,000s, uh, or are we going to put three bits and then it'll be 44.1 kilohertz exactly. <laughs> and that, that's what they chose. And so we just had this number 44.1 kilohertz chosen because of this weird chunking system and then the fixed speed of the VHS tape. 
<laughs> that was a long way getting around to that. Uh, and I'm not 100% sure that I was, that I expressed the, <laughs> the idea clearly. Um, but that's, when you see that point one on there, uh, that's, that's what that is. And looking, you know, looking forward to the future, you can say goodbye to that point one, I think. Uh, a lot of people have just erred on the side of including a little bit more higher frequency information, and, and, and 48 kilohertz is now become much more standard, certainly for something like the recording I'm currently making, like raw, um, like, like radio type recordings, um, 48 kilohertz. Is, has become has become kind of much more standard, and then things are uh, often now downsampled to forty four point one for distribution. Although you're seeing, I mean, this MP three you, you or whatever AAC whatever I don't even know what file format. Uh, you can check it out. I think I I think I set it to be forty eight kilohertz. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. You can consider that little extra high frequency information as a, just a little lanyard. Um, I will, you know, maybe just quickly weigh in on the, <laughs> um, what is it called? What is Neil Young's audio player called? Ponyo? Uh, Pony Boy? Um, I, I like, I, I think that people are going crazy with their sample rates these days. Uh, there's people listening to audio at 192 kilohertz because there is an intuitive way where it makes sense that if you want you want to make a transfer at the very highest possible quality so if you're taking a picture of something you can increase the megapixels just increase the number of pixels increase the amount the density of the information and so that's the logic people use that uh, instead of using 48 kilohertz 48,000 samples per second or, or 44.1. Um, some people, some people are making transfers of old classic rock recordings and whatnot using, uh, using 192 kilohertz, um, which, which is, um, it's, it's hard to explain why that is, is needless. Uh, basically you're just, you're recording a lot of cr crazy high frequency noise that it doesn't need to be there. It's like there's a there's like a limit. There's a there's a, a point of decreasing returns, let's say, where you've already got like the way that sound works. You can, it doesn't make sense to. Okay, I can understand making transfers at 192 kilohertz for archival purposes. Uh, I can get that, and you can get some. You could maybe you know there's some there's information in there that you could that you could mess with, but for the purposes of listening, um, I I don't want to be I personally don't want to be playing you know loud 60,000 hertz frequencies into my ears just because I know I'm not going to be able to hear them and it's not going to do me any good that's part of it and the other is just storage space it's needless gigabytes recording at 192 kilohertz just a whole big management problem and then there's just and it's just um, there's no reason all you really gain is a lot of high frequency information that we can't hear the human hearing goes from around 20, yeah 20 hertz at the very lowest to, to up to 20,000 hertz um it really i i remember before i got very into sound i remember not understanding 
I remember looking at a waveform, frankly. Uh, this is the most common audio representation. Where it's just a line going left, left to right, and you can see little blotches. You can see little splotches where the volume goes up. I can remember looking that, at that and not even really clearly getting what was happening. Or not clearly, like, I can see the splotches, and I'm like, there are five words, there are five splotches. But I didn't understand what, <laughs> what was possibly going on inside those splotches. And it took me a few years of, of really frustration and, and, and a lot of trial and error and, and reading around to figure out how to understand the time frequency domain uh, or the, yeah, how, to, how, how to think about it in terms of uh, more like a spectrogram. You know, so there's, the spectrogram would be the other way that you can represent, visually represent a piece of audio. So a waveform just shows you where the loud parts. A lot of audio is, a lot of audio editing is done using just the waveform, because you can see that because you're just looking at the volume. You can see the breaks between things. You can see maybe when the person is taking a breath. You can certainly see if something loud happens in the background. You know, it gets a, it's like a nice, it's a relatively easy way to to, to and it's also uh, it's quick to render on a computer screen. Um, but a spectrogram is full color, or it could be black and white, but it, it's, um, it's a full textured look at the audio. Um, and the louder, okay, put it this way, the, the louder parts are lighter colored. So, so on a black background, which would be silence, uh, if, you, if you say the word, um, <laughs> if you say the vowel, uh, then you're going to see a, just a, a series of rows down at the bottom. So if you look at the spectrogram of this little piece of audio, uh, you're going to see lines across the bottom. And, and that's the reason there's multiple lines. It looks kind of like a comb. The reason there's multiple lines is because, of the, because there are harmonics. <laughs> because my throat is shaped the same way as a flute or a clarinet or a... Uh, clarinet's a, a little different, but it resonates. There's a, there's a fundamental frequency, you know, for a human adult male, I don't know, 180 hertz, 200 hertz, something like that. And then uh, harmonics above that, and we shape the harmonics, and that's what our speech is. But if someone is hitting a drum, and you, that's recognizable in a spectrogram, uh, because it's a big burst of you know, unpitched energy, it's like a cloud. Or if somebody says the, uh, an S, the snaky S sound, it looks also like a cloud, non unpitched. But but it's unpitched. But but in the S S sound, it's it's unpitched, but but high pitched. <laughs> it's, uh, anyway, it's but over time, over time, I've you know the 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 world of sound has come to really the the um, the, the the visualization skills were pretty slow to pretty um it, and it could have been otherwise i could have just taken a course on audio engineering or something and i probably and i would have been a lot quicker to to maybe pick up on some of that intuitive stuff um but i find myself listening to the world as a spectrogram or as a spectrum analyzer now um and i think of like if i hear well Here's an example. Sometimes I'm driving in the car, and I'm like, 
I just had this little feeling at the edge of my perception where I'm like, is the window open? And I don't even think of why or what it is, but like, it's like, I, the, is the window cracked? I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this too. And it's, you're just getting a little bit more high frequency energy from the outside world than you're expecting because that window is cracked and it's not, you know, it's not muffled in the way you would expect. Um, and that's a, that's a little thing. Um, you could, being able to tell, well, let's say this, if you listen to a podcast, somebody calls in uh, on a telephone and leaves a message and they play it back, you know, you can immediately pick up on that. You can tell by the, we call it degradation filtering. You can tell by the qualities that it is a telephone recording. But, but you can tell by the, by the, by the span of available frequencies. Um, and also I'm sure there's a lower sample rate and everything else and, and other fuzzy, you know, compression issues. Self, the, the, the telephone system now is 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 uh, highly perceptually compressed. <laughs> also, like an MP3, um, that's sort of beside the point. Uh, but the initial thing, the initial way you would make an audio recording sound like a phone call would just be to chop off the upper and lower frequencies. So a mid, you know, a, a mid-pass filter with just like a hard. So here's one thing. A lot of people don't know. A lot of people hadn't thought, <laughs> just considered. Uh, the fundamental frequency is cut off in phone calls. And most, let's actually talk about the old phone system. Let's say, you know, circa 1985, the old, you know, or in 1975, you know, Ma Bell, old, old school telephone system. Um, they, they realized they could save space on the wire. Actually, I mean, th these innovations happened back in like the 30s, but... Uh, uh, they realize they can save space on the wire by chopping off uh, lower frequencies, including the fundamental frequency, which seems weird because it's like my voice, you know, I'm a human adult male. My fundamental frequency is, let's say, I don't know, 190 hertz. I really don't know. Um, and that's like who I am. It's like my main, if you sound my pipes, that's the, that's the pitch you get. Um, and yet on the, f and yet the actual information more of the information in my speech is happening in the in the way that I'm shaping the overtones. I have these harmonic overtones, these little stripes above, stripes on the on the spectrogram, uh, above my fundamental frequency, and I'm bending those up and down and twisting them. You know what I mean? Um, I'm, I'm I'm bending them into different shapes and and shortening them and and uh, beginning them and ending them in distinctive ways that you can understand as language. Um, so most of the information is is in the upper frequencies, um, and then you have the the fundamental frequency, which is which is always there underneath, but it's more of the it's the kind of the baseline. It's a little bit less, uh, <laughs> it's more dispensable. And literally, the phone system uh, got got rid of that. And and the weird thing is that people don't really notice, or they don't think much about it. You know, you, you can still tell the difference between a woman and a man immediately, instantly. And you can still tell the difference between a man with a high-pitched voice and a low-pitched voice. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so you can tell, you can extrapolate down. You can, you can listen to the, uh, you can always listen to the, to the, uh, to the, to just the overtones and your mind, the, the, the freaky thing is that your mind fills in the fundamental. You don't even really notice that it's missing. That is the, that's the, the thing that, where this edges into the uncanny.
um, you hit a lot of, you hit of, well, there's this idea of, uh, uh, you know what I mean, what a linear system is? Linear system is when you have input into a system and you can guarantee that the output will be exactly the same. Um, and so an example of a really great linear system is like a fiber optic cable. You can take a bunch of internet traffic and and <laughs> here's the way that it actually works is that you send each piece of internet traffic at slightly different frequencies, uh, uh, you know, slightly different frequency ranges in the, in the, the, the uh, you know, very quickly pulsed light that's being put, put through this fiber optic cable. So you can sense a little bit of, just to really simplify it, you'll take like, you know, 470 uh, uh, megahertz or whatever, <laughs> something much higher than megahertz. Uh, and then that's going to be my internet traffic right along that line. And so I have that little piece, I have that little piece of the spectrogram or a little piece of the frequency domain. Uh, and then yours will be over at, you know, 463 megahertz <laughs> to pick a really low number um, uh, uh, frequency range. And you send your traffic on that. And so our, basically it's a linear system because our traffic can exist side by side and my traffic never interferes with yours. Um, and it's very orderly in that way. And, and the thing about sound is that it is mostly linear. You can mostly, you can send several different messages at once. You can hear multiple voices at once and sort of understand them. Um, but more to the point, you can, you can, you can do things in the in low frequency range and you can do things in the high frequency range. You can do them both simultaneously and your brain can understand them and they don't really interact immediately. It's not obvious that they interact. So you can have a baseline going and you can have a, a you know, a, you know, a ride cymbal, and someone's playing the cymbal, and they're and they're playing the bass drum, and they're both kind of like two separate signals. They're like on two different channels, in your in your mind, and that is an example of the linearity of sound. You can put in these two different signals, and get them both out. Um, but there's all, but there are all these nonlinear edges where things start to break down. Um, yeah, and you you may have seen, you you may have experienced unwittingly <laughs> these audio lasers. Uh, as they call them, but it's a it's a kind of speaker that that doesn't broadcast out. You don't you think of a speaker as as um, uh, it, distributing sound in a kind of triangular or conical pattern or a spherical pattern where it doesn't matter where you're standing, you can hear it. They have these arrays of speakers. It's, they actually make them arrays of very tiny speakers, um, which send sound in a straight beam forward, more like a laser. And, and the way they do that is by taking advantage of these, these nonlinear qualities of the way vibrations move through air. Um, and there's, um, I can't really go into much more detail than that. I, I frankly don't fully understand the math, but, uh, but it works out. And so you can, if you have a whole array of speakers and you have a lot of control like that, you can, you can tweak things to just, to just send, <laughs> to just send a ripple of audio in this one little uh, and this one, you know, one direction forward. And they're, they're using the, that, that technology now in their headphones that you can, um, there's sunglasses with little headphones built in. Where they, they sun, the headphones don't go into your ears, they just use this, they use uh, one of these little arrays uh, to, to send audio toward your ear so that nobody else can hear it, but you, but you can hear it and it feels like you're listening from a speaker. Um, and I have tried those out and they're actually pretty incredible. Uh, not, 
not incredible enough for me to spend 150 bucks on them or whatever they cost, but um, not worth those that material. It's not worth it for for a pair of novelty sunglasses. Um, uh, but you, you may these audio laser things are good for for museum exhibits, uh, although they're pretty jarring. It's really freaky to to uh, to be hearing audio, and it sounds weird. Like it sounds a little uncanny. There's something off about it. You know what it sounds like when you're in a restaurant with a with a uh, uh, <laughs> with a, 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 a the ceiling is an ellipsoid that has been cut in half. <laughs> so you have a bisected ellipsoid into the ceiling. Maybe there's some white fluffy clouds painted on a blue background, <laughs> and you suddenly hear somebody at a table. Uh, you, you realize that you're sitting underneath one vertex, and and uh, somebody else is sitting underneath the other one. You hear it's we, you hear this whisper in your ear. It's like you're it's like the person is on your shoulder. Have you ever experienced this? They have they have rooms simulating this in uh, children's children's museums, and I think that there are similar thing there are similar features in uh, chapels and cathedrals around the world. Um, but in a restaurant, it's really freaky because it feels like it's less, it, it takes you by surprise and takes you a while to figure out what's going on because you're like, where is this sound coming from? And you, re you realize it's from the other side of this ellipsoid. Um, and that's what an audio laser feels like, where it's like, it, it's creepy. The real creepy thing is that you can take one step to the left and you don't hear the audio anymore. That's, that's very weird. And you take a step back to the right and it's like you hear it at full volume coming at you with a kind of uncanny intensity to it. Hmm. But one, I, I will throw this in though. I, I, I think I have to wrap up in a minute. I'm interested in bone conduction audio. I've never, I, I don't think, I've never been interested in any other kind of implant. I read all about getting a magnet implanted in your index finger. And that is sort of tempting. I, I th if you were an electrician, I think you would be dumb not to get a small magnet in implanted in your finger fingertip, because you can over time you can feel alternating current electricity. <laughs> that, but that's not tempting to me. Problem with that. One problem with that is if you get if you get an MRI, it will be ripped out of your finger. But that's that's another issue. Also, it demagnetizes over time. <laughs> but um. I don't have any piercings or tattoos. Not a big body modification type person, you know. I'm just not that kind of person. But I can sort of imagine getting an implant, a tooth implant with a bone conduction speaker in it. I can sort of imagine that as like a little, like a little Bluetooth headset. Really more, more for listening to podcasts. Um, but that, that, yeah. If you, if anybody out there knows how I can try bone conduction audio <laughs> without getting an actual implant, maybe you can let me know. I think there must be some kind of headphones you can strap onto your jaw or something like that. I'm just interested. I'm, I'm just going to end this on a note of, um, I'm just interested in trying bone conduction. I'm not even sure how we got here. <laughs> interested in trying bone conduction audio. So if you have any tips uh, that don't involve, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, like, operating my own autoclave and implanting something. If you have any tips, get at me. Um, boy. Well, I might as well say the date. What's the date? I gotta, gotta get my watch onto the right setting. 
Uh, it's March 20-something. 25th? 26th? Might as well check for real. It's March 26th, 2020. Early in the morning. And you've been listening to the Steve McLaughlin Radio Hour. <laughs> this has been an episode about a, a bunch of audio stuff, I guess. All right. I appreciate you being with me. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I'll see you next time. Later.